0: Before we start the show this week, I want to thank our sponsors at SeatGeek. Anthony and I love this app. Behind MLB at Bat, it's probably the most used app on my phone. I, I go to 50-plus games every summer, and almost every ticket I buy is through the SeatGeek app. I've been using it long before they started sponsoring us. Uh, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's basically a ticket aggregator for the secondary market. It ranks via a color-coded system, which seats have the best value across multiple ticket brokers. You can get views from the seats and you can compare prices. So, like if someone is selling their ticket for hundred bucks in row five, you can see if someone from a different site is selling their seat for, I don't know, 90 bucks in row four. Even if I'm not going to a game, honestly, I'll sometimes just pop open the app and check it out just so I can see what ticket prices are going for across the country. Just trust me on this one. Download the app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Use the code Clubhouse and receive a $20 rebate on your first ticket purchase. Our show is always going to be free for you guys. We really would just appreciate it if you could support our sponsors a little bit. And it's just going to make your lives easier. On to the show. This week on The Clubhouse, our stadium series reaches its conclusion with the oldest ballpark in the country, Fenway Park, home of the Boston Red Sox. After spending the last year touring the country with his hit Broadway musical If Then, Anthony is finally back home in New York. We will be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to our thoughts on all 30 ballparks over these last few months. We have a lot of exciting guests coming up soon. This episode was recorded in the Oakwood Apartments in Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is a wonderful day for baseball. My name is Manish Jain, and sitting next to me, as always, is Mr. Anthony Rapp. Yes. Yes, I am. We have done it, ladies and gentlemen. The stadium series is coming to a dramatic conclusion. It's dramatic? It is dramatic. Why is it dramatic? You'll find out in a moment. But we have been spending the last several months of your lives, of our lives, of all of our lives, breaking down every single ballpark in the country so that you can get a, a little bit of an insight as to why you should do what Anthony and I have done and go see a baseball game at all 30 baseball stadiums. And we end with the oldest baseball stadium in the world. What stadium is that, Mr. Rap? Fenway Park. We are ending in Fenway Park. Do you know what year it opened? Mm, I want to say
1: 1907, 8, somewhere in there.
0: 1912. Oh. it's a couple years before Fen- or yeah. Fort Wrigley. Yeah. Um, okay. But the home of the Boston Red Sox, the 2000s dynasty Boston Red Sox, Fenway Park. Yeah. We did not go to that ballpark together. Nope. So when was your first experience going to the oldest stadium in the country? My first experience of going
1: there was when I sang the national anthem at a game at Fenway Park in 2002. Um, and back then, I think that they've changed it since. But back then, because uh, people had messed up the anthem, they had me pre-record it. Mm-hmm. So I pre-recorded it and then lip-synced. No one knew. It was still acapella. I mean, it was still sure. Like, sure, sure. Um, so it was really, that was my first,
0: and that was my first time doing that. Pre-recorded at where? Like in a studio? No, or like at- in
1: their, in their like office. I oh, mean, so was- on the
0: ground. So it was like, you didn't do it before and like send them a tape or not like no, that. No, no, like I you- went, I went there. Wow. Maybe the the same day or the day before.
1: I don't remember exactly. It was a long time ago, but uh, yeah, like in a, in a, like one of the press rooms or I don't even know what, and with a, like, with a microphone saying, the <laughs> and then you know sang the anthem and this was in so this was 2002 so it was before they got good again yeah um and it was and then i had you know a seat to watch the game which whenever i think i've mentioned this before when i've done the national anthem at other ballparks it's never like a good seat um it's not a terrible seat but it's not like a great sure it was sort of like up a little bit you know from the field but in that game i remember it was the orioles who also were not good then
0: Oh yeah, early 2000s Orioles were not um, great. That's when I had season tickets to them. They were not good.
1: So it was the Orioles and Red Sox. So it was like a nothing game. But uh, Man- <laughs> Manny Ramirez got plunked and he took his he took his base and he was jawing at the pitcher. Nice. And then they sort of like started toward the mound and a couple of people came out and they sort of broke up the scrum. So it wasn't really a real scrum. Yeah. And then the pitcher kept pitching and then... Manny kept jawing at him and then a real scrum happened. So that was my first witnessing of a dugout clearing
0: scrum. Wow. But nothing really happened. Like, well, yeah, yeah. Just, it's it's, sort of it's like, always the the for show. They, we're just going to come out. And yeah. uh, my favorite part about that, and I don't know if this happened at years, but my favorite part of those type of quote unquote bench clearing brawls is I always, and you will all do this from now on too, always keep your eye on the bullpen guys because they run. none of them, well, no, no, no none of them want to be there. They're like, oh, God, all right, we got to do this. And you'll see them. And they're running in. A lot of them will be jogging in. A lot of them will be, all right, I hope it's done by the time I get there. But my favorite is you see the guys that are holding, because when they're sitting out there, they've got, like, candy and gum and sunflower seeds, like they're just playing with all the time. So in their, like, sweatshirts, in their pockets, you see them holding it as they're running, because so, they, so it spill so doesn't so spill on. everywhere. Yeah. It's, I love watching the bullpen guys come in because yeah. they're like, oh, Come on, we were having so much fun out there. No, yeah. but no one got, no one, um, yeah, no one got pun- There was no punch. Yeah, it just right that, out. and that's one of the main reasons why I think they are like that because they're like, we know it's nothing's gonna happen. Do we have yeah. to come? Yeah. All right,
1: fine. Here we go. So that was my first Fenway experience, um, and then I went again a, a couple years ago, uh, maybe three or four. Can't remember exactly when. Um, the Cubs went to Fenway for the first time in a very long time. Yeah. Um, And so I went to all three games of that series. So that was really fun and exciting to be there to see. And and there was, you know, they they had fun, like old timey footage of the last time, like of pictures of each team at the time when they would have played then. And, you know, it was like it was old, old, long, long, long time ago since they had last been there. Um, And then this past uh, September, um, I had the great good fortune of uh going again to a game but not only going to a game but getting to go to on the field um and in the bowels of the stadium on a tour um and got to watch batting practice from up on the green monster and that was uh, the best the, of all the times i've been to fenway that was by far the best experience i had
0: well i that's one thing that they do that i'm i'm very, very much impressed with their front office, and I, I really love them for that. Is is it's this Red Sox Nation thing that you can become a part of, where for fifteen bucks is like the cheapest thing you can do, and you become a part of quote unquote Red Sox Nation. But what you get with that is you can get in the ballpark thirty minutes before everybody else, and you can watch BP from. The Monster. And I, similarly, I also watched that's the BP from The Monster. And it was awesome. It was so much fun. And it was just, it was such a unique, cool experience. I don't think I'd ever want to watch a game up there. I don't really like the angle of it. I, I, you know, I think, yeah. And I'm also just too disconnected from everything up there.
1: But it was cool. It was my first time ever being... In a place where people were actually hitting the ball during batting practice, Did I remember, like that, so many, so many balls were coming up. Well, yeah, because it made mean, a short porch. So, yeah, you got a lot of balls. But it's coming tall, you them. have to get lost right, to get sure. over the green monster. Sure. And it was cool to see that I could see the trajectory of the ball from that angle.
0: That is one thing that, so I used to, I, I referenced it a little bit earlier. I used to have season tickets to the Baltimore Oreos when I lived in DC before the Nationals came to town. And, um, my season tickets were in left field, the second row uh, in left field, and so I had. There were a lot of balls that that you know came in my direction. This was a, this is during the Miguel Tejada years, so there were you know he was he was mashing quite a bit, and uh, yeah, there is something you know. Anytime now, I go to a baseball game with Zach Hample, the the uh, the ball hawk who caught a Rod's three thousand uh, hit. Uh, he obviously always sits in the outfield or, or I always hang out with him during BP. And it's a really cool, unique experience to be able to watch the ball off the bat and follow it and track it and see it pick up speed and then see a lose speed and the pickup speed down the way down. Like, it's just a cool, uh, you see it so much on TV from yep. a certain angle. Yep. To see
1: it coming at you is awesome. It was very cool. And uh, our, I was there, I was doing my show without you in the Boston area. And, and so I was there with my band members and my my, um, stage manager, our dear friend. Did Monica go to the game with you? Yeah, Monica Cuoco. And that was her first time at Fenway, so she was extremely thrilled. (laughs) Um, And, you know, a lot of the other guys in the the band actually really do love baseball. So it was a very appreciative group that we were all with. And uh, (laughs) Peter, our cellist, was sitting in the front row of of the Green Monster during BP, and there was a ball that (gasps) came screaming at him and he barely got out of the way. And Monica (laughs) almost had a fit you know of of terror, oh you know, no, that, that was be <laughs> brained by this ball, but it was i mean it was it, the whole that whole aspect of the experience was great, and then um you know it was it was a very different atmosphere seeing it um seeing a game where the Red Sox were not in contention like if they had had a not good season, yeah. And, um, but it was still a very good game. It was a pitcher's duel, and the and it was it was another game against the Blue Jays. Like I kept seeing the Blue Jays, <laughs> um, and the and the it was it was just a great, really tight ball game to sure. win extra innings. And- well,
0: um, speaking of. Baseball is coming screaming at you. So as has been well documented on the show, I've never in my life gotten a, a baseball. And again. I've been to over thousands of games. I'd never gotten a baseball. When I was in Baltimore on my 30th stadium tour, uh, a, a young ball hawk by the name of Romeo, he caught a ball and he tossed me the ball. I don't con- I don't count nope, that. doesn't That's count. Care. This one, now Zach, and he is an expert in this. Zach claims that this one does count for me, although I don't necessarily count it. When I was in Fenway, it was my 30th park. And... I mean, to be fair, I don't really ask for balls either. You know, I'm not the type that's going to stand there and, and have his hand out and screaming for, hey, throw me a ball. Throw me. A-. I've never really done that. Even when I was a kid, I didn't really do that. Uh, but I was in Fenway. I was hanging out. So when you're in Fenway in the uh, 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 in the bleachers, you are quite literally on top of the bullpen. Like the bullpens are right there. And so you can look down into the bullpens. And uh, there, I saw a ball sitting on the ground. There's a grounds crew member there. And I was like, hey. I just did my 30th park. Would you mind, you know, maybe throwing me a ball for my trouble or whatnot? And he very, very sweetly threw me a ball up. So it was, it's a toss up from a grounds crew member. Yep. So doesn't count. hold on In no. the same way. Keep talking. I'm going to show you something. Hold on. Keep talking. Keep talking. I'm leaving the microphone for a second. Keep talking.
1: I'm keeping talking to say that I don't, it's not the same thing as catching a foul ball or catching a. No, you know. I
0: know it's not. But
1: he's uh, he's not on mic and he's muttering from the other side of hold the room. On. He should have thought about this before. About this he, way. you know, for as much like pre-planning as Manish does about every <laughs> aspect of his life, you'd think that he'd pre-plan this. Um, while we're while we're waiting for him, I will also say we haven't really talked about just the sense of the the park itself. I mean, it's. Oh no, we're we're gonna get to that. Okay. Hold on, we're gonna get to that. Okay,
0: but this is what I was going to get. Oh, my suitcase was all the way
1: in the corner. So you you've gone. You we're on. <laughs> microphones. There's no camera anywhere. No,
0: there's no camera. But you've but you've, this,
1: you've this, taken time this, out to go get something. This that, I'm, that I'm, No one can see. It,
0: there'll be a picture of it on Oz Podcast. There'll be a picture of it on ClubhousePodcast.com. But you there would have been it. a picture of it anywhere. You can hear it. Mm, you can you can smell it. They can't, can't smell it. They Smell-o-vision smell. is a thing that's going to exist. Nuts, no. Well, Mr. Rap, you can see it. I can see it. There is Very a. Nice. You it's can a nice see, baseball. you know, there, there's a baseball the, it's there. It's Got the MLB insignia. It's got, it's got Mr. Yes. Bud Selig's name on there. Yeah. That is a Fenway baseball. Yeah. that travels with me everywhere that I go. So right now, spoiler alert, I'm I'm sitting in Los Angeles, California, as we uh, record this, and I that ball travels. It went to India with me. It goes all over the country with me. That ball is my security blanket it is what i have for the rest of my life I will, I will carry that ball with me thank you fenway for giving me my first uh official toss up there we go thank you um. <laughs> so, yes, it wasn't a foul ball. It wasn't a game ball. It wasn't even a no. BP ball. It was a ball that was just sitting <laughs> in the Red Sox. Yeah, but still, no, yes. I mean, it counts as a baseball from a baseball
1: stadium, 100%. Yes. But it's not the same thing as catching a foul It ball. is not. You still need to catch a foul ball. I do. And and I've come close.
0: Or a home run. Or, I you know. mean, I, I, I'll i say dozens because I'm not sure if it was hundreds, but but I've come very, very close Many, 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 many times. Uh when I was in the Tigers press box, one almost exploded my laptop. Um uh, when I was in Detroit again, uh, a ball uh was coming right at me. I was walking around the concourse and some dude literally jumped in front of me and shoved me out of the way. I was like, all right, I don't care that much, buddy. You can go ahead and take yeah. it. I would have stepped out of the way. It's okay. It's not yeah. the end of the world. Um but yeah, this is this is my Fenway ball, I love it. So yes, now let's talk about the actual ballpark itself. the The green monster and the green walls
1: it's it's really spectacular. I mean, they've done a great job of maintaining uh, the character of that park. I mean, that's that's the thing that really struck me this, especially this last time. I felt I was even more present, and it's probably because I came to this park like after having seen all the other ones. You know, I'd been to Fenway before, but right. then after having you look at it differently, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I really appreciated it. I mean, and Fenway is super idiosyncratic. It's got all the weird little nooks and crannies. Oh, and in
0: the in the left or right center field, there they've got kind of that thing that juts out, yep. and, and it's they've got the tiny short uh, uh, fences in right field. So I mean, a line drive home run can yep. happen, or obviously the now infamous two thousand and thirteen a l c s Tory hunter flipping into the bullpen yep. uh, with the with the security guard throwing yep. his hands up in the air you know so it's, it's it's
1: yeah there's uh and and there's also a, they've done a great job with the concourse you know like it's still the old time ballpark but it's not so cramped and it's there's really good food and they oh, they, have, the they also have a, a really good like recycling program i mean you know they have they also have i found out they have a a roof farm yeah that they grow produce that yeah. they use in their in their food service um facilities. Yeah. So there's a lot of thing there are a lot of things going on there that I that I really really uh, approve of as as a fan as a citizen um yeah, and, it was, and it's and it's again situated in a neighborhood. I mean, you can walk there from all over Boston, and yeah, or the or the t- take the T right there, or take a train from the suburbs, or whatever it is. That yeah. it's it's really convenient to get to. And
0: once again, for me, I I, I was staying when I first went there. Uh, well, not first, but when I went there for my 30th stadium tour, because I'd been to Fenway plenty of times before um, my 30th stadium tour, I was staying in the suburbs, and so I had to drive in to Boston. And similar to San Francisco, I think it was thirty five dollars parking. Which, oh yes come on guys but we didn't talk about yaki way what do you think of uh yaki way it's fine i mean you know it's a little theme parkish at this point i mean it is we we discuss it all the time i am a carny and it is almost literally a carnival like there are the there's the guys on stilts there's there's the uh juggler the the jugglers there's the band there's all that stuff i mean look it's Every time you go to a baseball game at Fenway, you make a day of it. It is not really just a three-hour experience. It is a four-, five-, six-hour day. Well,
1: no Red Sox game is ever three hours. Oh, God. I mean,
0: yeah, that is true. a long time. Oh, my goodness, but, those Red Sox games. Yes. Speed it up, boys. I love baseball. And I would love a six-hour game if there was actually six hours of action. But how are all Yankees-Red Sox games seven and a half hours with no action happening? Where is that time going? I don't understand just it. just in their batting gloves.
1: I was at— Stepping out. Of the batter's box. Ugh, Picture staring for minutes on end.
0: Um, so, yeah, no, I, Fenway is great. I mean, I have some complaints about it. I, I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this matter. I think the seats are very uncomfortable. I think they're wooden. I didn't have any, that problem this past time that I remembered. So. I, the seats are uncomfortable. I think um, the thing that annoys me more than anything is people, please, I'm begging you, during the game, during a, bats at least, sit down because every time I go there, there's just a steady stream of people walking in front of me at all times. Cause there's no beer vendors that are coming to, you know, inside. So people are constantly out of their seats, trying to get beer, trying to get food or trying to get whatever. And it's just, it's a constant stream. And it's like, I paid good money for these tickets, sir. Could you please not stand directly in front of me for half the game?
1: I agree with you. So, but I didn't notice that being a problem
0: either. I think it's worse for me because I've always got my, you know, I've got my camera with me. And you're tiny. Why? Just... Why? Why got? Why? Why you have to do that? I'm a normal sized human being, sir. Mm. I'm normal. Nothing wrong with being normal. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Fenway Park. Obviously, everyone has to go visit it. Yes, because it's Fenway. It's the oldest baseball stadium in the country. When you're sitting there, you're sitting in the same butt print as people who watch a hundred years you ago. You use
1: that word again. Because
0: it's what it is. Uh, what else would it be? It's the it's the butt grooves. It's the grooves oh, of hundred plus years of other baseball fans sitting in that exact same spot watching Ted Williams, watching yes. Babe Ruth, watching just the greats play this game. Yes. And that is, I mean, we brought it up in the Wrigley episode that they 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 installed their video monitors decades before uh, Wrigley did, and you know, it seems to have integrated itself relatively well. Yeah. I mean, you know, with everything. Job, yes. um, I never want Fenway to come down. I never want Wrigley to come down. Like no, I want those. They, I
1: can't imagine that. God, well, not getting on the wood, but I
0: cannot imagine that they ever. In the year three thousand, I want Wrigley to be around and the scoreboard. I mean, all yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just. Uh, I love it. You know, it was, it was a special thing for me. It was complete happenstance. I didn't do it on purpose. It just was the way the schedule worked out that I ended my 30-stadium tour in Boston, but I couldn't have found a better ballpark to end it in. You know, obviously, in 2013, they ruined my 30-stadium my, uh, my tour. It was going to end with me going to the World Series to watch my Tigers win the World Series, but I referenced the Torrey Hunter play. That was the year that the Red Sox decided to ruin my day. Uh, oh, I dropped my Fenway ball as soon as I said that. See, see I just committed Come quick, commit an error. Um, but I love Fenway, and I and I'll tell you this: I saw more young ladies at Fenway um, than I think any other ballpark. Uh, interesting, you know, man. like and when I say young, I mean like in their twenties. Yeah. Um, you know, because you see kids in a lot of stadiums now, but you don't really see a lot of twenty somethings. I saw a lot of young twenty something women. In groups, meaning like three, yeah. four, five, six, seven, just groups of women together, like not that. coming with their boyfriends, or their husbands, yep. or their sons, or their whatever. And that really made me smile because, as we all know, I desperately want more women involved in baseball on every level, on the fan, on the field, in the stands, you know, in the press box, everywhere. Um, let's, let's, I'm sick of the boys' club stuff. Let's, let's get some, some women. Uh, so yeah. Mr. Rapp, is there I mean we, we the the rounding third episode that you're gonna be listening to next is going to be it's featuring some interviews that I did with, with uh, uh a couple who'd been going to games at Fenway, I don't know, for forty, fifty years for a long time. So they had a lot of great history in Fenway and it was fantastic. But that's it, Mr. Rapp. that's thirty stadiums.
1: I I'm very, very proud. I'm very proud.
2: Yeah? So I'm I mean we've now we've broken few. down
0: every single ballpark, but uh, do you have any final thoughts now? So you are a part of that that exclusive club of people who have seen a live baseball game at all three stadiums. I mean, do you have just, what what are your thoughts on the, on the matter?
1: I've talked about it so many times. Yeah, I but we're, this is, spot. But um, but we're, but we're, I know, but I we're just, wrapping was, up. Because we, we've been going so individually. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm, I love that I can picture a game, Like you know, when the Cubs are in any city And I'm watching, if I'm watching or listening, that I have an absolutely perfect view in my brain of what that's like to actually be there at the game. I love that. Um, And I love having, yeah, just having having a a touchstone checkpoint reference to all of these places and a sort of sense of the continuity of all of it. Um, Yeah, I'm really proud and happy
0: that I have that in my little back pocket. Okay. And if you had to pick one, not Wrigley, if you had to pick one that you that you think every single fan out there needs to go to.
1: If you can only if you can only go see one ball. I separate Wrigley and Fenway from term
0: this question though only because it's Mm -hmm. Wrigley really family don't count. They're they're they are historical landmarks. They yeah, are you that's have like to, ex, going to, that's you have to experience. Yes, them. that's like going to you know Mount Rushmore or yeah. going to whatever. That those are American touchstones. So once again, just looking if just purely The one,
1: from, the one uh well, it's hard. Like in the American okay. League, Camden Yards and okay. National League, PNC Park.
0: Okay. So Camden and PNC are the two ballparks that you think everybody at some point in their lives needs to go to. Yes. I agree with that. I think those are I think are admirable choices. Um, I think you and I both agree though, that, that if you're listening to this podcast and if you've made it through all 30 of these, uh, episodes, this is off the top of my head. So, you know what, if you actually listen to, eh, you know what, there's no way to prove that. I was going to say, if you listen to all 30, email us at clubhousepodcastgmail.com and I'll give you a prize, but I don't know. What, Come on. I don't know even and how to, if you, if you made it through all 30 of these, but if you made it through all 30 of these, thank you very much for, for listening to, to all these Next week, we're gonna be back, and we're gonna have guests, and it's gonna be amazing, and it's gonna be so much fun and and the the future of this Clubhouse podcast is gonna be great cause now that Mr. Rap, you are back in New York City when this episode comes out, and so we'll actually be Time yeah. <laughs> so we'll actually be the uh we've got some great guests that I've got in my brain that I you know that we're gonna have on the show uh, down in the future here. So we'll be back to our regularly scheduled program. Next week, uh, you know, the, the the stadium series has come to a, a magnificent conclusion. If then the tour is over, we're back in Manhattan. Time machine. <laughs> Time-space continuum. <laughs> Black holes and whatnot. I saw Interstellar. I understand it. Uh, <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Mr. Rap. thank you for Going to all those ballparks with me this summer. Well, thank
1: it, you. I would not have been possible if it weren't for your madness slash genius and <laughs> knowing how to make these
0: things happen. Yeah, it, it's it's fun. It's I can't tell you. It's everyone out there needs to do it. But no, this was this was great. Like I said, 2015 was was one of the best years of my life. We're now well into 2016, so I don't know why I just said that. But well, uh, that's the year we did this. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: That I had to do to get all thirty.
0: Exactly. So. Thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, I will leave you with the rounding third portion of the final rounding third of uh, uh, this year. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time here in the Clubhouse. We're just going to take a brief break so that I can tell you how to get in touch with Anthony or me. You can follow us on Twitter at ClubhousePod. Visit our website, clubhousepodcast.com, for extensive links and information about some of the baseball moments we discussed on the show. There are also photos from our cross-country road trip for you to peruse at your leisure. We love hearing from our listeners and getting you involved with the discussion, so please email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite baseball stories, your favorite baseball films, why your team or ballpark is so special, or honestly, just if you want to say hello. If you are a new listener to the Clubhouse podcast, welcome. For more great baseball conversations, take a look at our archives, like our chat with actor Mackenzie Astin. In this clip, Mac tells us a story about a prank pulled on Kirk Gibson of the Los Angeles Dodgers.
3: So the Tigers, uh, I guess, got into a little trouble with collusion and uh, were uh, disallowed from... Uh retaining uh, Kirk Gibson in uh, 1987 and so he was a free agent for the 1988 season and uh, and he signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers and on the first day of spring training uh, Jesse Orozco who had recently arrived from the Mets uh, thought it'd be funny to take some shoe polish and put it on the inside of uh, Kirk Gibson's cap uh, so that when uh, Kirk Gibson put his cap on the shoe polish would come off on his forehead And when he took his cap off, the chupage would still be there, and all the fans (laughs) in the stands would see that big black mark on his face. And so it happened, and Kirk Gibson uh, got real upset about it and stormed into the dugout and told the manager, Tommy Lasorda, that he wasn't going to put up with this kind of hijink stuff because his whole goal was to be there to win a dang championship and that people had better stop messing around like this or else uh, it's just not going to work. And that changed the tone of the whole season.
0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Rounding Third with Manish Jane. Today's episode, the Boston Red Sox and Fenway Park. I did it. <laughs> I I I'm not quite sure what to say right now. It's it's surreal. It's over. Seventeen thousand miles, ninety-five days, just me, a car in the open road, 30 stadiums in one summer. I, <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know what to say right now. I've wanted to do this since I was as, as young as I can remember, and I did it. It's over. <laughs> this, is, this is a very strange moment for me. But that's not what this episode is about because I don't want to give the people of Boston the short end of the stick just because you guys were last. I don't want to make this entire podcast about me. Plus, I've got a really beautiful interview to share with you with a a couple that I was sitting next to who had season tickets at Fenway and have had season tickets at Fenway for decades now. And they had some really great stories about catching some games here. So I'm going to play that for you a little bit later. But first, got to talk about the oldest ballpark in America. The monument to baseball, the monument to days gone by where Babe Ruth played, where Jimmy Fox took the field, where Ted Williams mashed home runs out of. This is where I was sitting, where we all have the, the opportunity to sit at when you go to Fenway Park. You get to have the same vantage point, the same view as people 100 years ago. You sit in those seats and you're looking on that field, and you're looking at that green monster, and you're looking at history. And yes, I'm aware that there are some annoyances about Fenway, but that's going to come up when you're, when you're living in a 100-plus-year-old house. The seats might be a little uncomfortable. There are some obstructed-use seats. This is the one time in my life that I am forever grateful that I am a small, tiny little man because I can fit in those seats just fine and stretch out my legs, whereas I'm sure for my listeners out there who are six feet plus, there might be a little bit of frustration with uh, not being able to really get comfortable. And, and I empathize with you, and, and I'm sorry that you have to go through that, but you know what? For 99% of your life, you're living on easy street. Being six foot tall is pretty cool. Being a little five foot six runt there's very few advantages. I get extra legroom on planes and seats at Fenway Park. That's pretty much it. You guys have the rest of the world. Let us have just one or two things, please. Now, I'm not going to go on too much about the history of Fenway because there have been just, it is, it is well documented. There are books, there are documentaries, there are, we all know how historic Fenway is. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just going to flat out talk about my experience there. And my experience was so great that I ended up seeing how many? One, two, three games. I ended up seeing three games at Fenway. One of them was uh, a White Sox-Red Sox matchup, and the other two happened to be because my Detroit Tigers came into town. And with this being the final stop of my tour, I decided to stay a couple extra days, not only so I could watch the Tigers, but also just so I could spend more time at Fenway. I'm glad for a plethora of reasons that Fenway was the last stadium on my tour, which, by the way, happened completely serendipitously. I did not plan it this way. That was not my intention. In fact, I didn't even make the connection that I was ending in Boston and it being such a historic stadium until about three or four weeks after I had created my schedule and one of my buddies actually mentioned to me and he said, oh, hey, you're ending in Boston. That's pretty cool. And I realized, oh my goodness, I am. That's, that's perfect. That's great. That's awesome. One of the reasons that I'm glad that I ended with Fenway is that the Red Sox organization did something that had I known about before I'd gone to the other 29 stadiums, I may have been a little frustrated with the other organizations. I have to give the Red Sox front office a huge pat on the back or whoever it is that came up with this program. Every stadium opens their gates at different times some will open them an hour and a half before first pitch some two some two and a half some will only open them up early for season ticket holders or vips and if you're just a regular ticket holder you've got to wait some will only allow season ticket holders to go in for batting practice and allow the regular season uh, sorry just the regular ticket holders to walk around the rest of the stadium but not have access to the outfield bleachers. so there's there's many different ways that the different franchises have decided to deal with early visitors to the ballpark. So at Fenway, obviously, the big attraction is the Green Monster. Everybody wants the Green Monster. When I found out that Fenway was going to be my last stop, I started thinking about how I would be able to get tickets on the Green Monster, figuring what a perfect way to end my tour. If I could somehow finagle myself some tickets on top of the Green Monster, that would be really a special way to end the tour. I'm glad I ended up not sitting on top of the Green Monster for the actual game itself because of this program that the Red Sox Nation has initiated. So the Red Sox Nation is a multiple-tiered system that you can buy into. So I'm only going to talk about the absolute basic one because that is what I bought. For $15, I became a part of Red Sox Nation. So there are several benefits to becoming a part of Red Sox Nation. You've got your standard discount codes at the, at the store and, you know, different online exclusive things as far as game day audio and newsletters and all that fun stuff that I really have no interest in. As I'm not really a Red Sox fan, there's no reason for me to take advantage of any of that fun stuff. But what I did take advantage of is for that one-time only $15 fee for the entire season, all 81 home games, every member of Red Sox nation gets to get into the park two and a half hours early. They're the first people that get to get into the stadium. In addition to that, you have special access to go on top of the Green Monster for batting practice. So for about an hour and a half, you can just chill up there, try to catch a ball, snap some photos, basically get the great perspective that I'd wanted initially when I wanted to get seats up there. And this way, you don't have to spend the hundreds of dollars that those monster tickets go for. It is, it is really crazy how much people sell those tickets for in the secondary market because apparently the only way to get them is via some sort of lottery, and it just got too complicated and too expensive, and to be honest with you, once I sat up there, I got some great pictures, and it was kind of a fun little gimmick, but I don't think I would ever want to sit up there for an actual game. I think I, I would much prefer, if I'm going to be sitting that high up, I much prefer to sit behind home plate so I can get a better view of the entire field of play. I am grateful, however, that for that paltry sum at the the ballpark of $15, for the three games that I went to, I was able to get to the park two and a half hours early, and I was able to get through the gates before most other people and take some really great shots from high atop the monster, and the best part of it all was I got another batting practice ball. Ooh, that rhymed. I was not prepared for that to rhyme. But yeah, for those of you who've been listening to this since the beginning, you know that before I started this tour, I had never gotten a ball during batting practice or during a game, foul ball, home run. Uh, no one even had tossed me a ball. Never happened. In Baltimore, this lovely gentleman by the name of Romeo caught a batting practice ball and threw it my way and said, welcome to Baltimore, which was Very, very sweet of him, and I still have that ball, and I know I didn't catch the ball, and I know it was given to me by another grown man, but I don't care. I was very, very proud to have him made to the baseball. But this time, I got a ball myself. No one tossed it to me. No one threw it to me. I actually got a batting practice ball at Fenway Park, and that would not have happened had I not paid the $15 for early access. So I know this just sounds like a huge commercial for Red Sox Nation. It's not. They're certainly not paying me. They have no idea I'm even doing this. But I'm just saying that from a fan's perspective, you know, there's a lot of ballparks that I got very frustrated with because they would only open an hour and a half before game time. And I would have gladly spent $15 just to get in that one time, let alone the entire season. And as I mentioned, I went to three games. And so... Three games getting in early three times, I mean, if I had season tickets, i'd go early every single game. that's normally something that is reserved for for season ticket holders or people who spend an inordinate amount a lot more than fifteen bucks to the Red Sox organization. there may be some minor annoyances that I have with as I mentioned earlier your seats and which I did mention the exorbitant price of said seats Fenway is. A very expensive place to go see a ball game and San Francisco Giants you now have an equal with how expensive parking is because it was 35 bucks in San Francisco and it was 35 bucks here in Boston to park my car which that's a bit annoying but you did one thing really well and that is understand that you get a lot of visitors that are coming to see the beautiful Fenway Park, and they all want to see the Green Monster. You have a, one of the mu- most unique attractions in all of sports. Forget baseball. Just in all sports, the Green Monster is something that transcends baseball. Non-baseball fans know of the Green Monster. And when you decided to put seats up on there, that was a great marketing move. And now I understand you're going to want to make some money for it. And so the fact that you, you charge only 15 bucks for an entire season, I got to say I'm, I'm pretty impressed with that. Because you very easily could charge 15 bucks a game to have people go up there. And that is enough of me <laughs> gushing over how, how much I appreciated the opportunity to go and, and check out the Green Monster. To even it out a little, let me touch on something that annoyed me to no end during the game that I went to at Fenway Park. So for the first game, my official tour game, the game that I wrote about for the website, it was the Red Sox versus the White Sox. That was the, the scheduled game that I had on my tour. That was the game that signified the official end of the 30-stadium tour. I got seats behind home plate, not, in, not directly behind home plate, but in one section behind it, and I got seats in the front row. Nobody told me, That when you sit in the front row, you are not going to really get a great view of the action on the field. Why is that, you'd think? You'd think, hey, first row, one section back, but first row, you're not going to have any people's heads in front of you. Oh, that's why. Because the ushers at Fenway, for whatever reason, do absolutely nothing to stop people from just consistently, I I mean consistently, walking in front of you. The entire game, first pitch to final out, I'm going to say 90% of the time I had somebody walking directly in front of me. And not just walking or you know, jogging by at a brisk pace or something to try and make sure they weren't blocking anybody else's view. Taking a casual stroll around the stadium, sometimes just flat out standing in front of me that includes a couple of security guards. A couple of security guards just flat, just flat out stood with their backs to the field, pretty much making eye contact with me, just looking at me and not moving. This is where they're standing to, I don't know, protect people from, or, or stop people rather, from, from going down to the field level. I don't know, but re- whatever it was, they, they stood directly in front of me. And suffice it to say, for that first game, I got very few pictures that I was proud of at all. But even regardless of the pictures, my own enjoyment of the game was severely ruined because I was constantly trying to move my body and wrench my head the wrong way and try to just get a feel for these tickets where I spent quite a lot of money. I mentioned earlier that your ticket prices are, are quite exorbitant. I, I, I'm, I paid about $100 to basically get my view obstructed the entire game, and not by a pillar, not by something that I was aware of, not by something that I knew about. The overwhelming majority of stadiums have ushers that will flat out tell people and stop them and have signs that say do not walk while there's action happening on the field. You walk in between at-bats, in between innings preferably, but do not get up and, and block people's view. And here at Fenway, there it was just a wild, wild west. Now, I don't know if it's just impossible to wrangle all these people at Fenway. I don't know if there's a rule. I don't know. I don't know exactly why it is, but that was something that was— unbelievably frustrating and I mean the Tigers are coming into town so I was planning on staying for a couple extra days and I do enjoy Fenway so I did want to catch a couple more games there but to be honest with you one of the, my main reasons for staying a little bit longer than I anticipated was I wanted to be able to get some nice pictures for you nice people I wanted to be able to share with you my experience and the photos that I was getting for this game were just not coming out Because every time I I pulled that camera out, someone would walk directly in front of me. It was like trying to take a picture in the middle of Times Square. And in Times Square I get it. I I I understand that there's gonna be a lot of foot traffic. So you gotta just pick your spots and hope you get a good one. But I'm at a ball game and I I shouldn't expect people's giant heads (laughs) to walk in front of me, just consistently streaming back and forth. Where where's everybody going? Watch the game for for an inning or two. Enjoy yourself. So, yeah, hopefully. that I I do. Well, I I appreciate some of the things you did, Red Sox organization. There's a couple of things that you need to to look into. And there there should be easy fixes. You have ushers there. You have people that are already employed. Just give them a little paper sign that says, please wait for the next at-bat. Or if you're going to walk in front of people, try to bend down a little bit and not completely obstruct their view consistently. I'm beginning to see a pattern forming here in this podcast because now I'm going to go ahead and bounce back over to something that I liked. (laughs) So apparently it's a negative thing, a positive thing, a negative thing, a positive thing. But right now, you can't talk about Fenway without talking about Yonky Way. Yonky Way is the epitome of what a baseball stadium should be. Yonky Way... I wish all 30 ballparks had a Yawkey way. It is such an awesome, fun, pure experience where you can just go before the game, during the game, after the game. It's a carnival. It's a free carnival in addition to the baseball game. You've got the jugglers. You've got the guy on the stilts. You've got face painting. You've got... You know, fast pitch. You've it's just, It is such an awesome environment. Baltimore's barred from it a little bit with Utah Street, and they've done a wonderful job there. That's one of the reasons why Camden is near the top of my list of best ballparks in America. And Fenway, obviously, is right there with them because Utah Street and Yawkey Way are such perfect representations of what baseball is. It is a carnival. It is a family experience. It is a something-for-everyone type of experience. The people of Boston really love their baseball. That's not a shocking statement. They are among the most passionate fans in the country. And you see it as soon as you show up, as soon as you walk onto Yawkey Way, as soon as you lay your eyes on Little girls, grown women, grandpa- grandfathers, grandmothers, little boys. It's just, it arranges. It's all ages, all genders, all everything. It is by far the most age and gender diverse ballpark I've ever seen. Now, I, I, speci- I, I specifically say age and gender because the interview that I did with a gentleman who was sitting next to me, brought up a very interesting point to me that I honestly had not considered. It's something that I had not thought about very much and not something that I was looking for in my thirty stadium tour. (laughs) As I'm sure you can tell by my name and my picture, I am not a white person. My folks are from India, but I was born and raised here in the States. I've always considered myself, uh, for obvious reasons, infinitely more American than I am Indian. These biggest thing about me that makes me Indian happens to be my skin color. Outside of that, I mean, I, <laughs> I drove 17,000 miles to go to every single baseball stadium in the country. I'm not quite sure if there's anything more American than that, but it's not a competition. Regardless, I'm just saying that I've always considered myself to be an American person. However, because of the fact that I do have a different skin color from the majority of people in this country, I've gotten used to being the only non-white person in the room. It's happened so much since I was born that it just doesn't affect me anymore. I don't look for other non-white people. I don't care if there are other non-white people there. I don't care if there are white people there. I generally don't look for it. I did when I was a young kid, but now, you know, it is what it is. If I wanted to see more Indian people, I'd move to India. If I wanted to see more Chinese people have moved to China, if I wanted to see more Venezuelan people have moved to Venezuela, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I live in America. It is, for the time being, a primarily white country, white European country. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. The gentleman sitting next to me, however, who was white, a gentleman by the name of Rich Page, asked me what the racial demographics were of the stadiums I'd been going to. And I thought about it for a moment and, you know, I said, I, I couldn't really, since I wasn't actively seeking it out, I couldn't make a, a firm conclusion on that, but I could probably say, yeah, it's, it's probably majority white. And he said, well, just look around at, at Fenway. How does it, how did it stack up to the rest? And I, I, I looked around and I was sitting in the lower sections and as after he said that uh the wave happened to to start and nothing will will bring your eye closer to racial demographics than the wave than the wave because as i saw the wave coming our direction i just saw a sea of white hands <laughs> sea of white hands go up and i was like oh my yeah i okay i i'm not seeing anybody like literally nobody not even I, I, nothing. Nobody. I, I, I was seeing pretty exclusively white hands going up in the air, and that just—that's something that, once again, it's—it's it's, that's not the type of discussion that I, I planned on having for this podcast. But it was just an interesting observation and one that I had not originally thought to look for. The reason I bring it up <laughs> is because it ended up be, being a really fascinating uh uh, kind of science experiment for me because i'm not i swear to you i'm not exaggerating in any way shape or form i had a conversation with uh rich sitting next to me and we had this conversation about race and about how why he thinks why i think there are so few non-white people that Either want to go to a baseball game, can afford to go to a baseball game, care enough about baseball, et cetera, et cetera. Just what the reasons are why I honestly, we could not find, aside from myself, a non white person anywhere in that stadium, or at least anywhere in our eye line. And about 15, 20 minutes later, the gentleman on my left, who I don't think heard what, what Rich and I were talking about at all, <laughs> I overhear overhear him talking a little bit about Detroit. And (laughs) he had a couple of maybe not so nice things to say about Detroit. And so I, being the person that I am, just asked him to clarify some of his issues with the city. And before I know it, we're starting to talk about race once again, but in a completely different context to what rich and i have been talking race and this gentleman was trying his his very best to explain to me how how white men are now the are are now the minority and apparently i I wasn't quite sure where he he was getting his numbers from but he was saying that in boston apparently there are white men are now the minority and i believe he was saying something to the effect of that they make up forty five 40 or something percent as opposed to 50 plus percent so in his mind that's what made them a minority and i try to explain to them you can't just mash up all the other minorities and put them together and then say yes there are more of everybody else than you that's yeah that's going to be the case that doesn't necessarily mean you're the minority but regardless it was it was just really interesting to see this guy we ended up talking for a good half an hour no joke we talked until the game was over and after the game We sat there and had a relatively heated debate uh, about racial politics, and he was very focused on on letting me know that, I I don't really want to repeat some of the things that he was saying, but let's just say in in his mind, um, white people are beginning to be oppressed, and It was just a fascinating viewpoint, which I had, honestly, I would not heard before. And so it's one of the reasons why I wanted to keep chatting with him because I just, I wasn't quite sure how to process the information. And I I, I pride myself in being able to hear as many opinions as possible. And as this was one that I hadn't heard of, I was trying to figure out, okay, where is this coming from? There has to be some some reason why he's saying this. I just, unfortunately, I couldn't get to that point. I, I tried, but... I wasn't able to understand him, I guess, so maybe it was on me. I could not understand what he was saying well enough, but it was just fascinating that in this entire entire tour, race really never came up. It is something that obviously is a factor in my own life, but it's not something that I like to discuss and it's not something that I like to think about very often. There were a couple of times during this t- <laughs> during this tour where a uh, in in Kansas City a very, very lovely older lady, very sweet, absolutely meant no harm or meant no offense. But she did ask me, uh, or rather tell me, that I spoke English very well, <laughs> which was kind of a weird compliment, I guess, when I wanted to say, well, I appreciate it. Thank you. I I, I was born here. I, I I English is my first and pretty much only language, so I would hope that I speak English well. And I have had some people ask me uh, how a person with a name like Manish became a baseball fan, which, once again, is it's it's on on the scale of racism, it's t- way 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 at the bottom and very benign, and you know it's it's <laughs> it's fine. I'm, I I don't have a problem talking to folks that that have those type of conversations because they don't they they don't mean any ill will. They they don't mean to. They don't understand. They don't, they don't fully understand what, what they're asking. You know, for those of you out there who may not be a uh, different skin color than the primary skin color of this country, I'll let you in on a little secret. Anytime I have met a white person in my entire life, this has been the way the, the introduction has gone. Hi, nice to meet you. My name is Manish. Hi. My name is insert name here takes a beat looks at me, so where are you from? That's them talking to me. oh I'm from Michigan. takes another beat. now, where are you from? <laughs> it's always a different inflection they say it they say this, they say it again, and uh <laughs> when I was a kid, I didn't fully understand what that meant, but now obviously I understand, oh okay. Uh, Now I just answer, oh, well, my parents are from India. I'm from Michigan, but my parents are from India. That is why my skin is a different color than yours. Once again, I want to be clear. I'm not in any way, shape, or form accusing anybody of anything. It's just this is the way of my life. This is the way of I've talked to other folks who, you know, whether it's – I think that the biggest problem is that in this country especially, if you're not black or Hispanic or – I don't know how else to say this. I'm gonna say traditionally Asian because, for whatever reason, I am technically, I guess, an Asian. India is in Asia, and so I am an Asian. But when people think of Asians, they are not. They're thinking of East Asia and not South Asia. So unless you are Black, Hispanic, East Asian, I'm kind of a weird brown. <laughs> I'm kind of a weird shade, and so people are don't quite know where to place me. Am I Middle Eastern? Am I? I mean, I've been pretty much mistaken for everything. I've been mistaken for Hispanic. I've been mis- mistaken for Middle Eastern. I've been mistaken for the the amount of times where people will come up to me on the street and speak rapid fire Spanish to me, <laughs> and I have to plead with them. I took two semesters in high school, and I remember nothing. So please, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. So I don't I don't mean to go off on this tangent of of race, but it, the the reason I'm bringing it up is it does it is that it's what came up at Fenway. It was really really interesting. I never thirty stadiums, you know, or at least twenty nine stadiums, and race never came up. When I was in New York, I remember someone sat next to me and asked me what the political makeup of the teams were or of the stands were, which I thought was a interesting question that I I only got once, and it was from a gentleman in New York. He wanted to know how many Republicans and how many Democrats were in the stands, which I'm not quite sure how he expected me to know that answer. I, I in no way, shape, or form took a survey, and I don't think that's something you can tell by looking at someone, so it, but that was an interesting question, and, and now here in Boston, it was a race question, and it was just something that, it was definitely different you know, most people ask me about which stadiums I liked the best, which games were the best, which teams were the best, which players were the best, um, who had the best food, et cetera, et cetera. But this was, this was a new one. And so I felt like I wouldn't be doing uh, the stadium or myself any justice by not, not talking about it here. Within a 20-minute span, I had two completely different conversations about race, one having nothing to do with another, one from a gentleman who seemed to be genuinely I don't know if concerned the right reason but curious as to why more minorities don't seem to be into the game and wanted to know how how to get more minorities into the game or at least you know in the stands and then the other one where this gentleman was so adamant about the fact that that <laughs> that that white men were were, were are now the minority or at least becoming the minority and i hate to say this but this this is this is really what made me laugh more than anything is that when the guy on my right asked me about race and we looked around and tried to find other non-white people other than myself we couldn't find any and when the guy on my left asked me i did just because it it was just in my brain i wouldn't have thought about it had rich not brought it up to me i said oh well <laughs> Look around. Do you see? Do you see any other non-white people here? I mean, aside from me, that should kind of—I I know that's not a very scientific way of looking at it, but that can just be an example. Just look around. There's not only are white people the majority; it looks like they are the exclusive majority. And within, I'm going to go ahead and say, two and a half seconds. he Went there's one. <laughs> literally pointed his finger and said, there's one. And sure enough, there, there was a black gentleman that was sitting in a section a couple sec- sections away from us that, that somehow uh, Rich and I had missed, but it was literally just one. It was him and, and, and uh, another white friend of his at the game and so, and, but in and this gentleman to the left of me in his world, that was validation. That was, that was when I asked him the question, have you, are there any other non-white people here? He showed me one, which I was like, oh, well, I think that kind of proves my point. There's one out of, out of maybe not 40,000, but we'll say, you know, however, the lower, the lower bowl seats, 15, 20,000. So, all right, there's two of us. Uh so sorry. Okay. This this got off the rails. I apologize. I I I'm sorry. I I don't mean to, you know, offend anybody out there. Like I said, this is this was not a topic that I really was planning on talking about at all. Uh but it happened and so I got to talk about it. So I'm realizing now that this podcast has gone on much longer than the rest and I haven't even gotten to the interview yet. So I'm going to go ahead and play the interview that I did with Rich. It's I promise there's going to be no hot button nonsense topics. we're going to get right back to baseball and the things about Fenway Park that are beautiful and his experience at the two thousand and four World Series and just it's it's a really beautiful story and so please enjoy this interview I'll see you on the other end and we'll wrap this up and I, <laughs> we're entering this is it, not even the home stretch. this is it my thirtieth stadium, all right, so you can listen to a little bit of a longer podcast. You've been with me all summer. I hope you're with me for just a couple more minutes. So here we go. Rich and his lovely wife, Mora. please enjoy. So I'm sitting here at the magnificent Fenway Park in the midst of a bit of a pitcher's duel on the mound. And uh, I'm, I'm with Rich Page and Maura Murphy. Now, it's a pleasure meeting you two. You were telling me that you've been season ticket holders as part of a, a larger package since 1987, is that correct? That's right. That is pretty cool. Now, what's the earliest you can remember actually coming out to Fenway Park?
2: Uh, September 4th, 1970.
0: Oh my, that's a specific date. Can you uh, tell me a
2: little bit about that time? Well, it's the first time I ever came to Fenway, so I remember that. I was 11 years old and my family had just moved here. And my parents took all of us to, my sisters and I, to see a baseball game. And... um, The cool thing about it is 43 years later, I've been to a ball game in these seats with my father, my son, and my wife. So that 43 years later, same ballpark, same team,
0: same family.
2: And I think that's a lot of what makes Fenway feel special. It's the same place year after year.
0: No, absolutely. Now, you said it was 1970? 1970. 1970. So, okay. So, so 44 years. Can you tell me, just off the top of your head, as we look around... One of the things, obviously, that everybody loves about Fenway is that it is largely untouched. But can you tell me some of the kind of small differences that you can see between that game at, on September 4th versus that day here now uh, uh, in 2013?
2: There's a lot more advertising now than there used to be. Okay. Um, I think the players are bigger. Um, the guys we saw on the field back in 1970 uh, didn't seem as large and imposing as these guys. Okay, fair enough.
0: When, uh, and I'm not that sure about this, when did they install the uh, video boards here at Fenway? I think around 1975, 76. Really? Okay. The
2: first, the first one was over center field, and it was nowhere near as impressive as this one. Sure, of course,
0: yeah. Now, That's my guess. That's okay, my guess. Now, so now what was uh, your first game here at Fenway, if you can remember?
4: I don't, I don't know if I remember my first game, but the most important game was um, uh, my future spouse invited me on a date for opening day in, was it 1987?
2: 88? 88.
4: 88. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cold.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that's something that happened for April baseball, but that is absolutely wonderful. So your, your, uh, one of your earlier dates was to Fenway Park, and now here you are, you know, uh, what is it now? I can't do the math. Years later. <laughs> About 25 years later, still sitting in these same seats. That is absolutely you're right. What makes Fenway so completely special? And I, for one, hope that they never, ever, ever touch these seats for the rest of the time. I know that it's a little bit frustrating. There's some obstructive view seats here and there. But you know what? That's a throwback to the olden times. And I know they give you guys a little bit of a discount here if you're sitting behind those poles. And it adds just to the overall experience. Well, it's
2: like anything else. If you grow up with it, you're used to it. You think it's the
0: way things are. And you know what? That's part of baseball. I think that I obviously did not grow up here in Boston, but when I stand inside these seats, when I stand in this park, for whatever reason, I just feel connected to the generations that have gone by. You talk about going with your father and with your son. That's three generations of the same family sitting in these exact same seats. I'm sure that could, for for some people in this building, that's something that could go back. Even uh, excuse me, one second. Oh, and it looks like there is a run-scoring triple by Mr. Andy Dirks. There are uh, a handful of Tigers fans in attendance here. Is that something that normally, because normally when I'm on the road and I'm going to other people's ballpark and the Red Sox are playing, it's 70% Red Sox fans. I was actually kind of surprised to see how many Tigers fans were actually in attendance here today. I mean, is that something that that's newer, or has that always been the case?
2: No, you know, the Tigers are an old-school team. So there's a lot of Yankees fans here. Uh, you see a lot of Blue Jays fans here. But uh, the franchises like the Tigers and the Yankees that have been around a long time, it's not uncommon to see a lot of people coming to this ballpark because— Boston's got tens of thousands of students who come here, so you're going to have people from everywhere. So it's not not that uncommon. It may be a Boston thing.
0: Okay, no, you're absolutely right. So now you were saying what your most important game was here at the ballpark. How about you, sir? What do you think is, maybe not important, but just the the most memorable moment that you ever had here at Fenway? Sure, game two of the 2004
2: World Series uh, against the Cardinals. I watched with my father, uh, and it was... It was a great moment, but the thing that was so remarkable about it was it seemed otherworldly. I mean, the Tigers have won a few World Series. The Red Sox hadn't in a long, long time. So the notion that they were getting closer and closer uh, seemed to have everybody captivated. Well, can you
0: take me through that? I mean, as far as, because you're right, I, I, now look, the, the Tigers last won a World Series when I was just a young lad, so I don't really have too much of a recollection of the Tigers World Series, but it did happen in my lifetime, and we have been to a couple of World Series since. I can't even imagine what it must have been going through your minds in 2004, coming off such a great series against the Yankees that I'm sure was emotionally taxing in and of itself, but just with every game that you got closer and closer. So game two, that's the perfect one, actually. So you're right in the between there. You've, You've won a game. You're about to win that game. You're halfway to the World Series. Take me through what was going through your head and your father's head as you sat in the seats we're sitting in right now watching the game on the field.
2: Well... One of the most remarkable things about that week and a half was the whole city seemed to stop. Nobody got any sleep. Nobody talked about anything but this. So you had the sense that everybody was part of the same experience, and the experience felt almost as if it was outside time and space. You seemed to be participating in it, but also observing it from a bit of a distance. Um, There was also an extraordinary sense of something impossible happening, but it was a thing that everybody went through collectively. I mean, we all went through it together. So even in this ballpark, you could literally feel everybody holding their breath at the same time, not just because the game was so important, but it seemed like history was changing. It's an odd feeling, and I can't imagine saying that about sports in any other context.
0: So for the final clinching game there, where were you, and can you just take me through what? The, the, the first thought, as soon as, I, I can't, I'm, people are going to kill me for this, but I can't remember who recorded the final out. I know it was a ground out the first, but I'm blanking on who the first baseman was at that point. Um, but when, when, the last ball, when the last out was recorded, just take me through the first millisecond in your brain what you thought. Yeah. Do you want
2: to?
0: Um, I had
2: a lot of trouble in that game. Every now and then it would get so stressed out, I'd run out the front door and run around the block uh, between pitches. <laughs> You know, I think what you, I think the amazing thing was, we had grown up thinking the Red Sox would never win a World Series. The idea that they actually could and did uh, was, it, it, it sort of changed the way you viewed the city. It changed the way you viewed the team, and it changed the way you'd invested thirty or forty years of your life. I mean, it wasn't one of these things you thought of going forward. It suddenly a lot of things you've done in the past became endowed with this meaning they previously hadn't had. That you were helping them to do it, even if you didn't know it and they didn't know it. It's it a remarkable
0: a, thing. That is absolutely beautiful. All right, so then we're gonna end it just with this. Independent of that experience. Sorry about that. All right, so the uh, uh, after, uh, after our pitchers duel, actually, it looks like this game is starting to uh, come apart for Lackey. But uh, we're gonna wrap it up with this and then we'll get back to the game. So, independent of the 2004 World Series, were you able to go to any of the uh, 2007 games uh, at all?
2: Yeah, the game that uh, I went to in 2007 was when they beat the Yankees to win the pennant. Oh, my, that must have been... The Yankees, the Indians. The Indians, right. Indians. Uh, And again, it was another thing that was remarkable because you hadn't expected them to do it again. Sure. You thought, well, they did it once, now they'll never do it again. (laughs) It's amazing that they actually came back and won
0: again, but it wasn't the same as 2004. It could never be. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, there's, there's that's, you're too too high at that point, and there's no way you're going to reach that again, but... Alright, so I, and I'm just going to ask one more time, because I know I, it's, it's, it's tough. <laughs> Aside from that first game that you went to, you've been coming to games now oh, yeah. You know, since then, can you just remember any moment where you came to the stadium and you said, this is quintessentially Boston baseball this is what Red Sox baseball is all about this is what Fenway Park is all about this is why I continue to come to the games even if I'm not a diehard fan even if I don't you know know every single player on the team I still love coming to this park
4: all you have to do really is sit down I mean, the field is there the spectacle is right in front of you and it's it's beautiful you know you can watch the sky change and um, yeah there's all that stuff going on on the field but there's I think my husband already said it. There's a, there's a continuity and a sameness to it, a familiarity that's just really welcoming. And so, yes, I love it. He doesn't like it when people sing Sweet Caroline. I love it when people <laughs> sing Sweet
0: Caroline. See, there's something for everybody.
4: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. You know
0: what, though? I have always maintained because there, there are aspects of, of, obviously, I don't like the wave. I don't like, there's certain things about coming to the ballpark that I don't like. But you know what, though? I've, begun, I've become, I'm learning over the summer now. If you want to spend, if you want to fill 40, 50,000 people in an arena, in a stadium, in a park, and you want to do it consistently, you got to have something for everybody. So there's going to be things that you're going to be annoyed with, that I'm going to be annoyed with, but someone else in the stand is having the time of your life, or time of their life, excuse me. I mean, I, in St. Louis, I sat in front of a, a young couple who got on the Kiss Cam, and normally I'm not a big fan of the Kiss Cam, <laughs> But these two, these two kids lost their minds. The girl was calling her mom, so excited. I can't believe I got, I've waited my entire life to get on the kiss cam. So in that, in that young girl's moment right there, her entire life was made. In an instance where I get maybe a little bit, I'm over the kiss cam. This was a big moment in her life. So sweet Caroline, the game on the field, no matter what it is, there's something for everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Rich and his lovely wife. Those are the type of baseball fans that I absolutely love. It's a married couple who have bonded over the game. (laughs) Rich is talking about being stressed out and pacing around the block and not being able to watch. Oh, believe me, that is, that's not only me in a nutshell, that's all of us in a nutshell. October baseball is one of those things that for 11 months out of the year, all I can think about is October baseball. Oh, October baseball, greatest month. I love October baseball, best baseball in the world. (laughs) And then October comes around, and God forbid if my team is in it, I forget just how painful, (laughs) how unrealistically painful October baseball can be. And I'm not talking about losing. Of course losing is painful. I'm talking about the actual nine-inning game. (laughs) The stress level that you go through in October baseball, it's knocking years off of all of our lives. I oh I, I forget it. I'm in this blissful ignorance of October baseball is wonderful, it's special, it's amazing, it's so much fun. It is if your team isn't in it. If your team is in it, oh my God, it is impossible to watch. You will I have so many weird, crazy, stupid rituals. All right, I'm gonna watch the game with it on mute and the radio broadcast, and I'm gonna stand in my kitchen. Oh, wait, that's not working anymore. All right, I'm only gonna follow it online and I'll listen to the TV broadcast, but I'm going to turn my head so I can't watch the game. All right, I'll watch the game with the TV broadcast and I will sit on my left hand. It's, it's yes, it's how many different crazy, stupid, neurotic, nonsensical, superstitious junk do we all do? And that's that's what I love about baseball is it makes rational men do irrational things. And I love it. <laughs> But this, this podcast is going on way too long and you have been very patient and sticking with me, not only for this episode, but this entire summer. I want to thank all of you so much for, for joining me on this journey this summer. The podcast is not over. All right. I'm going to come back and I want to talk a little bit about Cooperstown and uh, my trip there and touch on some other things. And now this is what I'm going to announce that, even though it's not really an announcement, this is basically, I'm in the process of writing a book. That is what is happening next. I'm writing a book about my experience and about all the amazing people that I met and all this dating that I went to and just my journey going from, if you go back and listen to my teaser episode, I'm a very different person now than I was at the beginning of this tour. Before I started on this journey, I was painfully depressed. I'd gone through five years of being just a miserable human being, and I genuinely didn't think I had anything to live for. That is a very true and honest statement. I have pictures that prove it. I'm not going to subject you guys to those pictures just yet. Those will be in the book. But I've got some pictures that can show you that I had a big mountain man beard and about 45 extra pounds on me that... Scream to the world, hey, this guy might be depressed. And three months later, honestly, I don't think I could be happier. I have lived my dream, and it is better and more fulfilling than I could have ever imagined. When I originally came up with the idea to do the 30 stadium tour, I honestly could not have ever dreamed that I would meet the people that I met, that I would watch, the baseball that I would watch, that I would experience, the experiences that I did. This was by, I mean, the widest margin you can think of, the greatest three months of my life. I've never been married. I don't have kids. So I'm assuming those moments might trump this, but I don't know. (laughs) Maybe not. It's going to be hard. I may have peaked early because it may, have, it may be hard for the rest of my life to top these three months. But you know what? I'm going to try. That's what this tour has inspired me to do. Because guess what? There's still a lot of minor league ballparks I haven't been to. There's some international parks around the world that I plan on visiting someday. So maybe that's what's next for me. I'm going to tour the minor league ballparks and I'm going to tour the international ballparks. But for the time being... I'm focused on getting this book written. So please head on over to roundingthird.net, sign up for my mailing list. I promise you the only time I ever email you is when a new podcast goes up, a new blog post goes up, or now when the book will be announced. That's how you'll know. You can also follow me on Twitter at roundingthirdmj where I'll be able to give you some updates on my progress. Email me at at gmail.com. Please, I, I would absolutely love to hear from you. And after today's conversation about race, I'm, I'm anticipating maybe getting a couple of not-so-nice emails, and that's fine, too. If there's something that I said that, that offended you or something that I said that you think I'm just flat-out wrong about, let me know. Like I said, I am open to hearing everybody's opinions. I want to know. If I'm wrong about something and I don't know it, let me know. I want to hear it. If I'm right about something and <laughs> I don't know it, i like to hear those, too. Or if you just want to say hi. For any reason whatsoever, please, roundingthirdpodcast at gmail.com. I absolutely would love to hear from you. Blake White, I honestly at this point don't know what else there is to say about you. I adore you. Thank you so, 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 so much from the bottom of my heart. You know what this man did? This man, I asked him to record a theme song for me. I happened to be down in spring training when he got time to go into a recording studio and we recorded back and forth. I recorded my little voiceover part and I emailed it to him when I was down in Florida, he recorded something in his recording studio up in New York and he sent me the files. And when I said, I like it, but you know, I want something a little bit different. All of a sudden he went back up and he created my outro music for me just at the drop of a hat. This man Could not have been more gracious, and he is so crazy talented. I'm, you know, please out there, go to iTunes, put in Blake White, more like myself, into the search bar, buy his album, support him, and you'll be supporting me. I get no money from it. I just get the satisfaction that you all are enjoying Blake's album. Icarus, Icarus Ronan, you are. This man taught me how to record this podcast. He set up my interview. He taught me so many things. I can't even list all the things he has taught me. He, has, he is such a wonderful, perfect human being. Those moments I was talking about when I was depressed, he was the guy that was there for me. He has been there for me through all of my good times, all of my bad times. He is my brother. And I love him with all of my heart. Krishna Jane. Krishna is my father, if you hadn't noticed or connected those dots. And while he is a physician, I've always maintained that he should be a photographer. He should be a professional photographer. And maybe one day when he retires, I can convince him to take some snapshots professionally because he is so crazy talented and he loves it so much. This was something that he and I have been looking for a project to do together for years. And when this idea came up, it was a no brainer. What this man did. (laughs) All right, here's, here's basically the the process. I would go to a stadium, take more than a thousand pictures, go back to the friend's house that I was staying at or the hotel I was staying at or whatever my home base was for that city, upload the thousand plus pictures to a Dropbox account. He would get them in Michigan. The next day he would prune them down from the thousand to 50 to a hundred that were you know, usable, good, decent, great. And he would proceed to edit all of them. And then put them back in a Dropbox folder. And within 24 or 48 hours later, boom, I had him back with me. Now, this is a practicing physician. He has a job. He has my mom at home. He has, li- he has a life. He has things he needs to be doing. He dedicated hours of his life every single day for three months to do this with me. <laughs> my poor mom called and yelled at me and said, you've taken my husband away from me. Because all he does is he comes home from work and he goes right to the computer to start editing your your pictures. It's awesome. It's incredible. It's I I this brought my father and I closer together than I could have ever imagined. We talk every day now. We never talked every day. We talk every day. Literally every single day. We're on the phone with each other. That didn't happen before this tour started. I would go weeks without calling my folks. Not anymore. Every single day. Mom? <laughs> I mean, I I had a couple of podcasts dedicated to how amazing of a human being you are. Please go back and listen to, I believe it was the Dodgers podcast, maybe the Twins podcast, the Mariners podcast. Listen to a couple of those episodes. I'm not entirely sure which ones they are. I've I've done too many of these at this point. But you need to hear the story of what my mom did for me. And you know what? This episode is getting way too long. So I'm going to save it for for the next one. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about Just some of the incredible people that I had in my life doing some great behind-the-scenes work to make sure that this tour actually got done. That includes my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law, and friends that I met across the country. Fenway Park, you are a perfect place to end this tour. I'm going to do it one more time because here it is in as short of a time as possible. Once again, this is off the top of my head. Here was my 30 stadium tour. You know what? I'm going to take a sip of water before I do this. Hold on. All right, here we go. New York, New York, Baltimore, D.C., Tampa, Miami, Atlanta, St. Louis, Kansas City, Houston, Texas, Colorado, Arizona, San Diego, San Francisco, Oakland, L.A., Seattle, L.A., Minnesota, Milwaukee, Chicago, Chicago, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Toronto, Boston. 30 stadiums, 17,000 miles, 95 days, a whole lot of grapes, a whole lot of water. I did it. So please stay tuned for some more episodes. But for now, as far as this 30 stadium tour is concerned, I have officially rounded third and I'm home. The home base for the clubhouse podcast is the Brighino baseball clubhouse located at 67 East 11th street in New York city. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, really anybody in your life, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. You can follow Anthony and I individually at Rounding Third MJ for me and at Albino Kid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.